With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray, we are together uh, on the same podcast at the same time for the first time in, I don't know, maybe a week or two weeks, but it seems like it's been uh, forever. Um, Rich, let's jump right into this. Oklahoma names Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback for the 2019 college football season. I believe this is the worst kept secret in all of college football. Everybody saw this coming. If you didn't see it coming, it's because you're a dreamer. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, I I am absolutely agreeing with you at this point in time, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you why very briefly. From the moment that Jalen Hurts announced his intentions to transfer away from the University of Alabama and come to the University of Oklahoma, he was giving up essentially the potential to compete um, not only for an SEC championship, but also national championship with a program that has perennially been a power and has been a force to be reckoned with once they've gotten into the college football playoff. Oklahoma hasn't had an opportunity to play in that finale. They haven't had an opportunity to play in that championship bout. Needless to say, you know that Jalen Hurts wasn't going to start with Tua Tagovailoa there. However, coming to Oklahoma, I don't think a guy makes a move like that. I don't want to say without a promise, but I am going to say that without the promise of some kind of leadership roles, which essentially equates to a starting role here in Norman as the QB1 in Lincoln Riley system. It, it's just one of those things that I don't think you you leave if you find yourself in the same position. So needless to say, in short, from the moment that Jalen Hurts announced his intentions to transfer, I believe that he was going to be the starting quarterback here at Oklahoma. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Well, and it's and it's not to me. It's not about a promise as much as it is about um, just knowing who Jalen Hurts is and knowing what the competition is. And I I I know that I'm 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 going to tread this tightrope of of being derogatory here for just a minute. But when when you when you look at at the most, I, I believe Jalen Hurts is the most polished quarterback Oklahoma has on campus. And and the word I've used in the past is prestigious. I mean, there. When, and, and when you look at him and you see that his his competition is a true freshman in Spencer Rattler, and then you another youngster in Tanner Mordecai. I mean, it just it's it's you you come here and and you you got the job. It's it unless you just come here and you're not lazy, or, or you're lazy and you don't work and you have no ethic and you have no leadership. That's that's how you don't win this job. But when you look at the guys that were on campus in the spring when he transferred here, the guys in Spencer that are coming on campus, it's a no-brainer. Jalen Hurts is your starting quarterback. And and here's the thing that that I find I find interesting. In that I I don't know I well I do know how I feel 
I feel like when when Lincoln Riley was kind of given the breakdown of his decision, Jalen Hurts QB one, Tanner Mordecai QB two, Spencer Rattler QB three. I feel like he made it better than what it was. I, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like he did a lot of coach speak. Um, and, and, and so like, you know, he, he said, I just thought that he being Jalen Hurts was slightly better as it, as the competition went on. And then he, he, he rephrased and he used the word slightly one more time before closing out that statement by saying it's probably the closest quarterback competition that they've had since he has been on campus at the university of Oklahoma. So either this is one of two things, either, either Jalen Hurts isn't that good that he's barely better than a true freshman and a youngster in Tanner Mordecai, that he's just barely above them in the way he reads progressions and the way he throws and the way he leads. He's just barely above a true freshman or the future super bright when you look at Spencer Rattler and particularly at Spencer Rattler, what he brings to this, to this team and what the future of the position is at the University of Oklahoma. There's no other way. If, if it's not just coach talk, it's one of those two options is that Jalen Hurts isn't as good as we think he is, or Spencer Rattler is really, really, really good. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, let, let me throw this idea out there. And when you begin to look at the listing on the depth chart in the specific order that they were given by Lincoln Riley, of course, you've mentioned it. I'm just going to reiterate that really quickly. Hurts, Mordecai, Rattler, number three. It's not to say that Rattler is a guy who's really the the worst of the bunch. And then Tanner Schaefer, presumably number four on that list. It's not to say that Tanner Mordecai doesn't have command of this offense, because I believe when you look at the talent pool, when you look at the guys who are currently sitting on the roster, the most experienced of the bunch is Tanner Mordecai. But you've got a guy who I believe is a little bit more athletic, due to the eye test, what he's bringing skill set wise, then Mordecai in Spencer Rattler. And as you begin to look at this listing on the chart, I believe what Lincoln Riley's attempting to do is to keep a full roster of quarterbacks because you never know what can happen throughout the duration of the season. Now, we don't wish for any injuries to happen, but you certainly have to prepare for those, especially when you've got the offensive weapons that Oklahoma does. It needs to be a plug-and-play type situation regardless of which name that is. And here's here's where I'm going with this now because I want to turn this around and throw a question at you, even though Tanner or Tanner, um, Mordecai is sitting at number two and Rattler's sitting at number three. If Jalen Hurts were to go down and miss an entire four quarters, do you believe that Mordecai is going to jump out there as the starter and that he's going to hold the reins to this offense? Or do you believe it's it is going to be Spencer Rattler? No, I, I firmly believe that if, if something happens to Jalen Hurts, it is a long-term injury. Like, like if Jalen Hurts, you know, gets his ankle, ankle tweaked and they need to go put some tape on it, he's going to miss a couple plays. If his helmet comes off and he's got to set out for a play, you're going to see Tanner Mordecai come in and take the snap. But if it's something catastrophic that he misses a game or even more time, this, this be, in my opinion, this becomes Spencer Rattler's team. Um, you know, keep in mind that if it's just a game, Spencer Rattler can still start and play a full game, and he could do that four times and and remain as a red shirt. So I I believe I believe mop up duty, all that stuff. Tanner Mordecai is going to take the majority of that. You're going to see Spencer Rattler play in week two. Um, 
and you're going to see him play, you know, against Kansas and stuff like that. But if there is a significant injury that occurs with this in this quarterback room, particularly the Jalen Hurts, my opinion is this becomes Spencer Rattler's team because I, I've said this before. Um, I, I said it on another podcast. I've put it in print uh, at Heartland Sports that this this is not um, Spencer Rattler's not a four year guy. You will not get, I don't, in my opinion, you will not get four years of playing time out of Spencer Rattler. And so, you know, at, you, I think Lincoln Riley knows that. I think, you know, just about everybody knows that. And so you, you, you put that in there and, and you, you, you get, you let the kid play because again, if it's not coach speak, it's that Spencer Rattler is really, really, really good because Lincoln Riley, I mean, I, Again, I know we're, I'm not sliding Tanner Mordecai, <laughs> but here's the thing is that when, when did, I mean, if you look back at, at all the quotes from fall camp, Lincoln Raleigh started really raving about these quarterbacks when Spencer Rattler showed up on campus. And he, he even went as far to say that we're, we are a, as a, as a position group, we're better now that Spencer Rattler's in this group. Everybody's high on Spencer Rattler. And, and so, I mean, it, it's his team. And so if it's not coach speak, I choose to believe it's the latter rather than the former, because I think Jalen Hurts is really good. I've seen him play for Alabama. I saw him play in Oklahoma spring game. He's really good. And I don't think but, that there's a big, big gap between him and Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Let me give you one more arguing point that you can use for the, the depth and the talent that does actually exist on the roster, especially if Spencer Rattler is a true number three on this list. When we look at the recruiting rankings, we know that Spencer Rattler was the only five-star recruit or at least the only five-star quarterback in his class. Oklahoma picks him up and now you're, you're looking down the road for who's going to be next in line. And with this Oklahoma offense, more specifically with Lincoln Riley's ability to coach quarterbacks, in this offensive system and the success that he's had over the years, it's a little bit surprising that you can't get a 2020 quarterback to anchor the, the recruiting class. I believe that's the Spencer Rattler effect, but it's also who Oklahoma has in 2021 because right, they've landed right. the number one quarterback for that 2021 class. And all of a sudden you're looking at Oklahoma they appear set for the future. Do I want to come in and compete with that? Or am I just going to be a body on a roster who eventually transfers? That That's the legitimacy of the talent on this roster. And it speaks volumes for what Lincoln Riley has been able to do. But again, if I'm a 2020 recruit and I play quarterback, Oklahoma is a hard sell for me. Well, and again, that's that's to me – that's the decision Tanner Mordecai is going to have to make is, is he okay being a career backup? Because you're talking about Brock Vandergraaf, Vandergriff uh, coming in on that 2021 class, five-star, uh, five-star quarterback, the number one pro style quarterback. Um, no, no, no. He shouldn't be a pro style. Have you seen him play? I'm just saying, I'm looking at him right now, Oklahoma uh, insider. Um, you know, right, right. No, no, they, no. They I have know. Enlisted as I know. a pro style quarterback. I know. Uh, and I, I disagree I, with it. Well, that's okay, but he's also the number <laughs> one prospect from the state of Georgia. So all, all that going, um, you know, if you if you're if you're Tanner Mordecai and you don't beat out Spencer Rattler in the spring and then a year from now, if you, and I and I believe that con that competition is going to be every bit like this competition is right now. 
in that you're going to hear Lincoln Riley say great things about both guys. And then the week that classes start, he's going to name Spencer Rattler the uh, Oklahoma's QB1. Well, then you're Tanner Mordecai. You're, you're, you're a year ahead of Spencer Rattler. So you know you're never playing at the University of Oklahoma. You've got Brock Vandergriff, Vandergriff coming in behind you. At that point, you got to make a decision uh, of what you're, what you're going to do. And so I think that's that, that decision-making process that you're talking about is exactly what Tanner Mordecai is going to have to go through about a year from now. I think he'll be on this roster next year because I think he wants to go through that competition and have a chance. But I, I don't know that he's on the roster in, in 2021. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us online. Okay, Rich, uh, um, now that Oklahoma has a starting quarterback, the, the guy that everyone thought it was going to be, I, I think all the attention now turns to the offensive line because – when you look at the offensive side of the ball, to me, it's always been the offensive line is the top story. Just because what we've already talked about is that um, Jalen Hurts is going to be the starting quarterback. I mean, it's the worst kept secret in football. But this offensive line that's going to be protecting Jalen Hurts and, and paving the way for these Oklahoma running backs, that's always been the story going through the spring and now in fall camp. And right now at this point, the only two guys, in my opinion – and I'm curious what you think about this, Rich, but the, the only two guys, in my opinion, that I think are guaranteed to start right now, we're recording this on August 22nd, Creed Humphrey, you know he's going to start at center, and then R.J. Proctor is going to start somewhere on the line, and it, it could be um, right guard, he, they could move him out to the tackle spot, he, he was versatile when he was at Virginia, he could play, he played just about every uh, but he played both sides of the ball, and he never really played center, but he played every position, both sides of the ball on the offensive line. So Bill Beatonbow's got options with him. But I think those are the two guys that, that I, if you made me bet, who's going to start? That's all I can tell you right now. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in the same boat as you are. And one thing that we do know is Bill Beatonbow is an incredible coach, and that whoever he throws out there, I have confidence that they will be ready. I'm not stupid enough though, Matt, to think that this offensive line this year is going to be as good as they were last year, especially when you look at four guys opting for the NFL draft. Some of those because of, of eligibility. Needless to say, when four guys from your offensive line go in the NFL draft, that's a, that's a big loss. Four out of the four get picked up. That says the quality of these players, but it also speaks, as I've said, to the abilities of Bill Biedenboe. When we look at this offensive line, those two starters, I'm I'm in the same boat that you are, but I have no doubt that he'll have these this specific group ready to go. But again, how the the question is how cohesive and how good can they be? We know that Creed Humphrey is going to set the tone. We know that Proctor's bring in the experience and that he should be able to jump right in to mesh and, and to be an immediate contributor and an immediate impact player. When it comes to the rest of the guys, it's still a question mark. 
Well, and here's the thing is that I, I there's a couple of guys that I've been high on uh, from from day one. And, and you know, Finley Felix was a was a transfer uh, that came in. Um, I, I think he has starting uh, capability. The, the good news is that if it, to me, if if Finley Felix, and I think he's going to be at the tackle spot. If Finley Felix doesn't start, I think it's going to be because Eric Swenson beats him out. Um, and where the good news is, is Finley Felix is just a sophomore. So he's, he's got time where Swenson's a, a junior, but um, you know, you, you've got guys like uh, David Swaby again, a redshirt sophomore. The, these guys are, are, I mean, there, there's, there's lots of talent there. And when you talk about four guys going into the draft, I mean, that, that speaks volumes when it, when it comes to the coaching style of Bill Biedenboe, not, not just the, the, five guys he put out in the field last year that, that won the, you know, the, they won the award. They're the best offensive line in the nation. Um, not just those guys, but look at their development. I mean, those guys, let's, let's not forget that you know, those guys last year were replacing guys like Orlando Brown, you know, and, and you're thinking, gosh, you know, can, can they do, do any better now that Orlando Brown's gone? Granted, they're replacing four, not two, but they're replacing guys. When, when you look at, when you when you look at this list, the guys that are really in competition here, like guys like Marquise Hayes, redshirt sophomore, Eric Swenson, already mentioned him, redshirt junior, Finley Felix, a sophomore. He's been in the system for a year, though. Adrian Ely, a redshirt sophomore, Stacey Wilkins, uh, a freshman. You've got those kind of guys. Bray Walker, redshirt freshman. When you look at those guys, those are guys that have been in Bill Biedenboe's system for multiple years. So, yeah, they've not made it out in the field and had their chance to play, but they've been in the system. And they're, and as Bill Beaton, Bill Beatonbow doesn't just develop guys once they get, step out on the field. What that, that line was so nasty last year because those guys had been in Bill Beatonbow's system. And, and Bill Beatonbow coaches with a nastiness that rubs off on his players. And so will this line be as good as last year? Probably not. But last year's line was one of the best ever at the University of Oklahoma. They were the best in the nation last year. But will they be pretty dang good? I think I think there's 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 ample opportunity for them to be really really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you point out the fact that Bill Beanbow does have a track record of essentially plugging and playing a few of these names at different positions along the offensive line and has had success in that it is a very talented group it could be anyone who emerges and claims that starting role uh, like i said matt i i just keep hanging my hat on this idea that this group will be ready it's just we don't know the names and, and that's the only knock that i think you can truly give about this group well, and it's not really a knock. I mean, I, again, it, it means one or two things. It means that these guys just aren't that good and you can't find, you know, five solid guys to throw out there. Or <laughs> it means that they they are all competing on such a level that that it's, it's hard to separate them. And, and I really I feel like, you know, for sure week two, but even week one against Houston, you're probably going to see seven or eight guys rotate on that offensive line as they're trying to figure out, you know, kind of hit their sweet spot. And then you may see 10 to 12 guys week two. But for that game against Houston, um, I really think you're going to you're not going to just see five offensive linemen. Right. I, I would agree with that. And the the knock here, Matt, isn't about the competition. It isn't about guys 
or saying that there's not a clear front runner because let's be honest the offensive line is oftentimes a thankless job it's guys who aren't highly touted in fact there was one point in time i went to a movie theater and i ran into a couple of guys from the offensive line now not all of those were starters but i had approached one of these guys and said hey do you mind if i just grab a quick photo with you and he says he stops me and before he'll even take a photo with me he asks me what his name is it comes down for me that that really solidified this idea of we may not be extremely familiar. Uh, let me let me go back. I was able to tell him his name. I was gonna, and then he, I was gonna and then ask him, did, took were you able to identify him? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you who it was right now off the top of my head, but I was able <laughs> to identify him. <laughs> he he was drafted, went on to play in the NFL. Um, I actually think it was Phil Lodeholt. Um, okay. was who that was. So needless to say, the, the reality is it's a thankless job. It's a guy who doesn't get a ton of recognition. He's not going to become this household name. He's not stepping onto campus and immediately recognizable, but he has the talent to play and he's an absolute requirement for this Oklahoma offense to be successful. I think Oklahoma has more than five of those guys on this roster. Like I said, the only knock is who are they going to be? We just don't know. And so it's not a knock at all. I've just labeled it as one because it's the best term I've got to describe it at this point. Well, and the other thing is, um, well, I just want to throw out the, at the end of this conversation, you know, Bill Biedenboe, we talked about the reputation that he has, and you've got another graduate transfer in RJ Proctor. Guys like RJ Proctor and Jalen Hurts, they, they could go anywhere. You know, RJ Proctor even went to visit Texas. He went to visit Miami. Jalen Hurts could have gone. He could have named his school uh, to go there. But they come to Oklahoma for, for two specific reasons. Reason number one, the opportunity to play for championships. Oklahoma has established itself as one of those places, one of those destinations where if you want to play for championships, you come to Oklahoma. But the other, the other reason why they came to the University of Oklahoma was because the Sooners are developing the reputation to putting guys at specific positions in the NFL, quarterback, receiver, running back, offense, basically anywhere on the offense, all right? Um, and so R.J. Proctor knows if, I, if he wants to play in the NFL, his, his chances of, of getting drafted at a respectably high, uh, high draft number, th those chances increase with him coming and sitting under Bill Biedenboe. The same way it, Jalen Hurts goes from being a backup at Alabama to a starter at Oklahoma, but not just a starter at Oklahoma, a starter under the tutelage of Lincoln Riley, who has, oh, by the way, just put back-to-back -back number one draft picks in the NFL the last two years on back-to-back -back Heisman Trophy winners. So – they, these guys are playing the long game as well, and it makes sense, and it and it it shows the reputation that Oklahoma is developing, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, which just begs the point to be brought up. Wish we could get there on the defensive side of the ball, and and maybe maybe they're on track for that. Maybe they're they're heading in that direction, but again, we won't know until uh, until September 1st. We'll kind of get a peek at that. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Would love for you to follow us. Uh, give us a couple of thoughts on uh, that you have uh, towards the podcast, where you agree or where you disagree. We'll be right back after this break.
Okay, Rich. Um, we we are. I mean, game week is is rapidly approaching. It's going to be here in forty eight hours. Um, let let's talk about success, both offensively and defensively, uh, for this team. By by the way, I don't know if you can hear it or not. I'm in New York City, which I believe is one of the noisiest places I've ever been to in the whole world. And there's sirens, obviously, going on outside. I don't know if they're. I, I can't tell if they're bleeding through on the podcast or not, but. Um, let, let's talk about keys to success for this team. And, and next week, uh, we'll get more specifically into the breakdown of, um, of the X's and O's for, for the Houston game. But let's talk about um, – uh, Let's. you want to go offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball first? Let's go defense. All right. Give me uh, one or two of the most important guys for Oklahoma's defensive success. <laughs> Man, I, I was just going to give you one. Okay, here. one's fine. And here's, but, but it's a trickle effect. So this one individual is going to affect the play or hopefully affect the play of other players who are also on the defensive side of the ball. And the first guy that I'm looking at for Oklahoma to be successful, or at least to turn the corner for me, when we look at this defense and the production from last year, it all starts up front on the defensive line with Neville Gallimore. Mm -hmm. Now he has had a lot uh, put on his shoulders, a lot of expectations. This year's going to be no different for him. He's slimmed down. He's, supposedly supposed to be quicker because of that, which hopefully allows him to get into the backfield, allows him to disrupt things there in the middle of the trenches, which then, of course, if you can disrupt the middle, opens things up for the guys who are on the outside. And then here we go with this trickle effect, makes the life of these cornerbacks just a little bit easier because the ball is either being thrown too early or it's disrupting the timing between the quarterback and a receiver for the time that he has to get it out or move out of the pocket and attempt to extend a play. A lot of good things happen when you can begin to get pressure on that quarterback. And here's what I'm hoping happens, Matt, is if Neville Gallimore accepts these expectations and begins to live up to those, like we know he has the potential to, that the turnover ratio for Oklahoma will increase. And that's that's one of those areas that Oklahoma struggled mightily, which mm -hmm. led, in my personal opinion, to why you saw them fall towards the bottom, not of just the conference, but of the nation in defensive stats and overall defense. Oklahoma getting pressure on the quarterback, especially in a pass-happy league, must be a vital piece of the game plan. And I believe that starts with Neville Gallimore drawing most of the attention to free up some of these edge rushers or at least getting pressure to disrupt some things, especially in the running game of these different programs that Oklahoma is going to face throughout the remainder of the season. Right. Um no, I agree, and that's something I, I've harped on in in the past. Um, it, you know, if if you can't, it, it doesn't matter who your who your defensive backs are. You can have Deion Sanders back there. If if the quarterback has five or six seconds to throw the football, then then you're someone's going to get toasted. Someone's going to get burnt in that defensive secondary. But also, um, that said, this this secondary was so bad last year. They were just so bad, and, and the things the thing is that there's there's so much up in the air right now that you you don't really. I mean, I, I feel like the line the uh, linebackers. I feel like the um, 
the safety positions are, are locked in. Uh, Grinch even said that, you know, Patrick Fields, Delarian Turner, Yale, right now, those are the guys uh, that, that are getting it done at, at free safety and the strong safety positions. It, it looks like uh, with Trey Norwood uh, on the bench uh, for, with an injury for the season that uh, uh, Buki is going to be the starting nickelback. So things are starting to shape, take shape, but you don't really know for sure at, at the, the linebacker. I mean, at the, I keep saying linebacker. You don't really know for sure at the cornerback spots. And, and that's the thing where Jordan Parker seems to be making a, a lot of, a lot of headway. Trey Brown, of course, he's always going to be remembered on the, on the big corner blitz against Sam Ellinger in the big 12 championship game, but you've got depth there. Um, but you know, I don't know, Rich. They were they were just so bad. Um, I, but, <laughs> I don't but, think they have depth. Well, they do. I mean, if you look about it, you, you, I mean, just just off the top of your head, you got Trey Brown, uh, Miguel Edwards, redshirt freshman. You got Jordan Parker. You got uh, Parnell Motley. And that that's four right there at, at the corner position that are that are interchangeable. And and of those four, you're probably going to see them all play. <sighs> Um, I, am I boring you, man? I can hear you. Y'all no, 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 to, not at all. all my, my apologies. Um, but you're going to, uh, I think you're, I think you're going to see all, all four of those guys rotate in here in this Houston game, because look, I, I get Oklahoma fans are excited. You got a new defensive coach. You got a, a potential Heisman candidate, a quarterback. Once again, everyone's excited. This Houston game is going to be a challenge. I, I don't know what the point spreads yeah. are. I've been traveling. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but it, listen, if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma is greater than a three-point favorite in this game, the safe bets on Houston to cover that spread. This game will be much closer than what people think it's going to be. And this defense is going to be tested right from the get-go. You're going to see. You will not see just two. Just like I said, you're going to see rotation on the offensive line. You're not going to just see just two cornerbacks in this game, you're going to see guys rotated in. And um, I mean, it, there's just so much there, but here, here's the guy. I mean, I'm, I'm going and going and going. Here's the guy that I think that we've overlooked when, when talking about the, the defense. And that is a guy, Jalen Redmond, red shirt freshman had the blood clot issues last year, played just, just limited. I think only in three games, but the three games he played in dude was a star. And I, I think he can become, he, he's fast, he's, got a, he, he's strong, first of all. He's strong, but he's got a, a quick, very quick first step. He can be disruptive in the backfield. You can use him, you know, in that same, that same mold that, that you use, a guy like Oboe, to come in there and, and you know, and, uh, and, and make that, you know, put pressure on the quarterback, that rush linebacker position, whereas he, is he a linebacker? Is he a defensive end? He just kind of moves around there, uh, find a place to get a quick first step off the line. Jalen Redmond's healthy. He's got a clean bill of health. He's gone through all the summer workouts. He's gone through camp. This guy, I believe, is going to not just get on the field, but be an impact player on the field for Oklahoma this year. And, um, and I think he's a guy that can, when we talk about getting pressure on the quarterback and disrupting things, he's the guy that can get that done. So Jalen Redmond is my guy that I, I'm, I'm going to say he, he's, he's going to have – I think he needs to have a really big season. And if he does, you're going to see massive improvement, particularly on the passing game uh, for Oklahoma's defense. I'm, I'm glad we're in agreement. then. <laughs> it starts up front. Right. No, I, I do. I, again, I've been harping on that since, since last year. But, but please don't – I mean, look, yes, it's true. It starts up front. 
but don't let that be a pass for these defensive backs that were just terrible last year. Um, let's flip sides of the ball. Let's go to the offensive side of the ball. And, uh, and again, I'll let you go first. Oh, perfect. Here, uh, this may be a little bit of a cop-out in my opinion. I, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not taking a quarterback. I don't want you to think that. No, you can't take a quarterback. That, yeah. That that's the easy, that's, that's the most obvious of the picks, but I was honestly going to go with, with Creed Humphrey here okay. on the offensive side of the ball and say that he's probably the most vital piece for this Oklahoma offense to be successful. And the reason for that being is because he's being looked to as the leader of this offensive line. He mm -hmm. is going to set the tone. You talked about a guy who was nasty, a guy who has, a very, very high ceiling at this position. It is Creed Humphrey. And so looking at what he brings to the table, looking at him now taking on a leadership role because he may be a young player, but he's the most experienced guy who's going to be playing on this front five, on this offensive line. He's going to be counted on time and time again to do a majority of the communicating, especially in those practices and getting guys to be on his level again setting that tone for this offensive line we know that oklahoma has capable running backs and that goes three deep if not further for them this year i'm not really counting freshmen in that at this point in time because i do expect them to redshirt you look out wide at the receiver position. Oklahoma, once again, is stacked. They've got a leader in C.D. Lamb. You've got a guy at the tight end position in Grant Calcaterra and a guy who can back him up, apparently, in Austin Stogner, as well as all these other freshman wide receivers who are going to make life just a complete chore for any defensive coordinator who's trying to match these players up with a defender. It's going to be a very difficult task. I think Oklahoma is absolutely loaded on the offensive side of the ball once again, which leaves that weak point right now as the only question mark, which is the offensive line. So I, I've got to pick a player coming off of that that are out of the trenches, essentially. All right. Well, I'm going to go with one of the running backs that uh, that you mentioned, and and I'll let you pick. It doesn't matter. Trey Sermon or Kennedy Brooks, uh, one of those two guys. That the, the running backs – have to continue to do what the running backs have done at the University of Oklahoma for the past several years. You know, we we talk about the greatness of the quarterbacks, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield and then Kyler Murray. Uh, but let's not forget what those running backs were doing while the quarterbacks are winning Heisman trophies. The running backs were cracking the thousand yard barrier. Trey Sermon right. got so, oh so close last year. Kenny Brooks cracked a thousand yards. The year before is Trey Sermon and it was Rodney Anderson. Those running backs, Oklahoma's running backs have to continue to, to be on that pace that they've been on the last several years under Lincoln Riley. If, if, if Oklahoma runs the ball to the same tune that they've done at the last three years, you're going to see this team back in the Big 12 championship. You're going to see them back in the playoffs because when, you, when you've got a quarterback that can beat you running the ball, and beat you throwing the ball, that gives you a, an advantage over the defense. But when you've got a running back that, that's going to crack for 125-plus yards a game on the same team as that quarterback, that gives you a huge advantage. 
So you pick the running back. I don't care. Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, one of those two guys, they've got to continue to carry the ball and stay healthy at the same pace that they have the previous two seasons. Um, and then, you know, I mean, TJ Pledger, I think he's going to be the, the guy that comes in there to give people a spell. Look, don't sleep. I, I've, I've said this guy's name before on, on podcasts. Um, don't sleep on Ramondre Stevenson. Do not sleep on this kid. <laughs> I, I really think that um, – I think that he's – I don't know what they're going to do with him. But, man, I'm, I'm thinking about him and that, that H-back position to replace a guy like Carson Meyer, who, who really was um, a big, you know, a, a, a big factor. Uh, he probably – you talk about a, a thankless job, less Carson Meyer. But, man, Ramondre Stevenson – I said this on, on a previous podcast. Imagine a guy who runs with Samaj P. Ryan's power but has Joe Mixon's athleticism. And, and that I, – I know, I know that sounds like I'm just hyping up a guy. He's a junior – he transferred in from junior college. Here's, here's how you know this guy's legit. If you look at what he did in high school and you look at what he did in junior college, exact same thing. The go, stepping up to the junior college ranks was no big deal for him. His, his high school film, his junior college film are the exact same thing. You know who else did that? A guy like Marquise Brown, what he did in high school, what he did in junior college, exact same thing. He came and he did it at the University of Oklahoma. Ramondre Stevenson, you're going to want to watch this kid. I think, I don't know how they use him. I really don't. I don't know how they use him. But if he's able to pick up blocking schemes, I don't see how you can't put him on the field. He's going to be someone that just just know the name. But running back position is my position. You pick Trey Sermon, Kenny Brooks, I don't care. They've got to continue to do what they've done in the past for Oklahoma's offense to click. And uh, there's just no other way around that. Right. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the running backs matter always going to play a vital role in this offense. It's not that they're forgotten. It's, it's the depth for me. It's the talent right. that does exist. And I've got to go. I mean, if we wanted to say the defensive line was, really that key factor in turning around this defense. The offensive line is what's going to keep these running backs churning at the same rates that they have in the past. Just an argument in my favor there. Well, no, I mean, I, I didn't say you were wrong at all. I, no, I no, no, no. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Running backs definitely not, not only in the running game, but the ability to come out of the backfield talk about how vital that has been in this Oklahoma just attack on the offense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree hundred percent. I think we're both, both onto something. Hey, let's take our final break. We're going to come back. We need to talk about uh, what, what we believe is the most important game on Oklahoma's schedule for this fall. And then we're going to make some predictions uh, because next week is game work. We're going to be breaking down Oklahoma and Houston specifically next week, but uh, we're going to give you our big 12 predictions uh, coming up right after this break. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Okay, Rich, uh, let's, let's close this out. Uh, final section. Um, you have been, uh, uh, I mean, uh, ardent is the word I'm going to come up with, enthusiastic. You're sticking to your guns that uh, this UCLA game is much more difficult for Oklahoma than, than Houston. Um, but let's talk about the schedule. <laughs> in, I, I disagree. I totally disagree. But we'll find oh, out I know. In, we'll find out in about four weeks. But um, let, let's talk about the schedule in general. What's the most important game 
of all the games on this schedule, what's the most important one for Oklahoma? For a quick glance at this schedule, I know it's extremely easy to pick out the Red River rivalry because of what that means for recruiting, because of what that means in the Big 12 race. But I believe the team that you're really going to want to pay attention to is a little bit further down the schedule in Iowa State. Yeah. In my in my opinion, Matt, Iowa State's going to bring one of the better defenses in the conference to Norman when these two teams meet there in November. It'll be a polished team at that point in time. It'll be a team who knows what their identity is, but it's also the surge that we're seeing on offense. They have a known quarterback heading into this year, which is something I don't feel like Matt Campbell has had since he started as the head coach of Iowa State. He may have known up front, but it always transitioned into another player who found success later on in the season. I don't think that's the case this year, especially when you're looking at at what they were capable of doing last year. Now, I know that they're going to lose some targets, some threats, but Iowa State, if you remember, the last time they came to Norman, they won that game. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I know there. everybody wants everybody wants to talk about Oklahoma, more specifically Baker Mayfield planting the flag at the center of the O at the Ohio State University. But the truth is, Iowa State did the same thing when they beat Oklahoma in Norman. I'm not saying that. This needs to be a revenge game for that reason. But I'm looking at Iowa State, and I see them playing the dark horse candidate within the Big 12, meaning that they're very, very capable of making a push for that Big 12 championship game. And if they can beat Oklahoma or Texas, it doesn't matter what Oklahoma or Texas do in the Red River rivalry because Iowa State's going to claim that game. So when the season hits – and the Red River rivalry has come and gone, win or lose, Oklahoma absolutely has to beat Ohio State, or they'll be on the outside looking into that Big 12 championship game, in my opinion. Well, I, you look, Ohio, Iowa State's going to play a factor in my, in my decision here as well, in that um, I believe it's going to be Oklahoma, Texas, or uh, Iowa State in the Big 12 championship. Two, two of those three games are going to uh, to play a role. Are, are two of those three teams? Let me use my my big words here. Two of those three teams are going to play for the Big 12 championship in Dallas. And so you got to look at uh, you know someone's on the outside looking in. Well, Oklahoma um, Oklahoma has Iowa State in Norman, so that gives Oklahoma an advantage. I know you just said it that they they beat Oklahoma uh, in Norman the last time they were here. Um, I, I just I, I don't know that they're going to be able to match Oklahoma offense for offense, um, and so that that leaves Texas for me as the big as the big uh, game. That that's that's what everything hinges on. I do believe this is going to be a down year for the Big 12. I I don't think it's going to be as strong of a conference as it has been in years past. You and I have talked about that, but I think there's three contenders here, and Oklahoma needs to beat both of them, but for sure beat at least one of them. And I think that comes down to Texas and Oklahoma and uh, 
um, and I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pick that as the game. I mean, it's the biggest game every year. It's the biggest game of the season. But it recently it started putting having implications again for the Big 12 championship. And it'll ever bit as much this year, week seven, October 12th in Dallas. Uh, that's a game that that matters and it matters big time. So um, so there you have it. That That's my game. Um, Brings us to our, our final our final thing. Um, actually, I've got something else after the. I, I've got one more thing I want to bring up uh, that wasn't on our script. But do you want me to bring that up now, or do you want to go ahead and do our predictions? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, I, I'm I'm just I, I'm so um, annoyed by um, by some of the. It's really and again, I, you and I both have good friends in the media. Okay, I don't know if we consider ourselves media or not. I, I don't know really where you stand on that. Do we get credentials to events? Yes. Do we sit on media row often? But I don't know that I consider myself a member of the media. But you and I have guys who this is their full time job, and, and and we're friends with them, and 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 we like them, and I think they like us. But man, I'm super annoyed by by the reaction to Baker Mayfield's comments about his apology to Ohio state. You just triggered that in my mind when you mentioned the flag planting deal. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. You know, look, there, there's not a single, I, I grew up an Oklahoma football fan. Okay. I, I, my whole life, Oklahoma football. And so before I'm, a, I, I don't, and you know me, Rich, I don't even try to get credentials for games, for football games, because I have season tickets. I would much rather be in the stands than be up in the press box. So I'm a fan first. There's not a single fan who wanted Baker Mayfield to apologize to Ohio State. And when Baker Mayfield, when he said, hey, I was embarrassed for the university when they asked me to do this, I was embarrassed for them. You know what? He speaks for the fans. The fans were embarrassed as well. When, when you look at what ESPN had said about Baker Mayfield, about this team leading into that game, talking about them being pretenders, uh, talking about them having zero chance. You, uh, you look at the what, uh, what Ohio State said and, and just all the stuff that was thrown at the University of Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield leading into that game. I, I have, I have no, I have no. I was there. I was there when uh, Iowa State planted the flag in Norman. Had no problems with it, zero problems. You know why I had zero problems with it? Because you, along with me, we, you were, we were there. We wrote uh, Iowa State off. Uh, I don't know if you remember that week before that game. I'm the one who broke the. I was, I was out of pocket, but I broke the story that that Brock Purdy would be starting. Was it Brock Purdy? I, I broke the news mm-hmm. that 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 Iowa State would have a new quarterback. That that it wasn't Brock Purdy, but it was a it was a new quarterback. It, yeah, it wasn't. It was a new name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that, but he would be starting that week, and and the, and the the main starter was out. I, I I remember texting you, and you're like, dude, I need to verify this. And I'm telling you, it's verified. I am. I remember this whole conversation you had because I was nowhere close to a computer when this story was breaking, but I but I broke that story with you because. And you're like, I can't find this verified anymore. Do you remember this conversation? And I'm like, dude, I do. This, I, I am your I verification. Do. Write this story. And because of that, I wrote off Iowa State. I completely wrote them off. And you did too. And so did 85,000 other people. And so did the media. So when they planted their flag at the middle of the field, I was there. I saw it up front. I saw it right there. Zero problem with it. Zero problem with it because they proved me wrong. And I, I, the same way I had zero problem with Baker planting the flag at, at the horseshoe. 
but but for the media to come out and act, oh, Baker needs to grow up. It's time for Baker to change it. No, he doesn't. Baker's Baker. That's what makes him great. And and I I, I promise you, the fans were embarrassed that Baker was forced to apologize. If you don't believe me, go back and look at the stories about his apology and read the comments. Just go to Google, search it. Go go and look, go to Twitter. Look in your Twitter history. Google Baker's apology and read the comments. What Baker Mayfield said in that interview about about the apology the apology being insincere, every Oklahoma fan knew that the apology was insincere. Every fan knew. And when Baker Mayfield <laughs> said I was a, I was embarrassed, I was embarrassed for the University of Oklahoma, most of the fans were embarrassed as well. So for him, for for the media, for guys to come out and just bash Baker Mayfield over this, man, get in touch with the fans. Okay, get in touch. If if OU was burnt and hurt and upset over this deal, then Joe Castiglione would not have announced today that, hey, guess what, guys? We're we're almost done with Baker Mayfield's statue. It's in the works right now. We'll be unveiling it. All right, let it go. No one was upset uh, uh, that he said that. More people were upset that the university forced him to apologize than they were upset that he said the truth, that it was an insincere apology and the university should be embarrassed that they had they had him issue it sorry that's my soapbox that's I, i'm done you're with good that, but Here, that, that's where i stand here's where i stand i i kind of just took this and had a little bit of satire with it if you will because i'm i'm standing right behind you matt in line of saying that we knew i didn't think it was a big deal it was blown up. It was blown out of proportion until it was a big deal. And the truth for me, when I go back, that was two, that was two years ago. Let mm-hmm. it go. Bigger things have happened since the planting of a flag in the middle of a football stadium. And the reality for me is when Baker Mayfield planted that, did that affect you? I mean, did, did that personally injure you? No. So who cares? But I mean, you know it, it was done it, it, in a moment of celebration. But I mean, I loved it. I watched it. I, I remember watching it happen. And, right. and I was so excited. I was so enthused that he did that. I, I loved every second of that. As and fan, that's what you get with Bayfield is that personality. But what I'm saying is I feel like our friends in the media are out of touch with, the, with Joe Fan. Oh, and, and that's you, okay, you Matt. They they may be. You can't you can't badmouth Joe Castiglione. You 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 can't badmouth Lincoln Riley. He didn't badmouth them. And and I and I look here's another thing. Is that he, what's he, being said? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just oh because just, I uh, have I have avoided reading any of those articles. Yeah, yeah. I, because I they like the I said, it's two years ago. I don't care anymore. But here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. Also, is that I think if you were able to give Lincoln Riley a truth serum, maybe when Lincoln Riley retires and he's able to have the freedom that Barry Switzer and Bob Stoops have now, I, I'd be willing to bet Lincoln Riley's going to say, "Man, I was I was so excited when Baker planted that flag." I'm <laughs> well, serious. Here, Matt, here's here's the satirical portion of it that I was going with because that was Baker Mayfield's final hurrah. It was him leaving a legacy on the football field, not just at the University of Oklahoma, but around the country at each venue that he played in. It was that Heisman winning campaign, but ultimately all that Baker Mayfield did 
was stake his claim to the state of Ohio because I can guarantee you there are people who were there at that stadium who were there for the incident who now have his jersey on their or his name on their back. Yeah, well, you go back to that season and and how many how many things were supposed to have cost Baker Mayfield the Heisman playing the flag mm-hmm. at the O. That was supposed to have cost him the Heisman. You know, oh, grabbing I his that thrust him to the front of it. Well, I mean, you know, what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> grabbing, his, grabbing his scratch against Kansas was supposed to have cost him the Heisman. But guess what? People didn't care. People, at the end of the day, people didn't care. And the fact that, again, this is being made at Baker Mayfield versus the University of Oklahoma. And, and, and when, when, and everybody knew. Every, it was, if you didn't know it was a forced apology, you live under a rock. But no one in the media wrote, well, yeah, they're, they're making, you know, shame on the university for making, the uni- for making Baker Mayfield apologize. No one wrote that. But when Baker Mayfield finally comes out and says, yeah, they forced me to apologize and I was really embarrassed for them uh, because of it. Well, shame on Baker Mayfield for them. I mean, that's what they're writing. Shame on Baker Mayfield for this. Grow up. Let me get over it. Okay. Let's, let's that, that's the title that was used. Way to go. Um, way to go. Anyway, the Oklahoma okay. wrote that article saying that Baker Mayfield needed to grow up. I wasn't going to tell you any specific people. A uh, um, quick Google but, search can pull all that. I'm not. I'm that's, not that's, concerned. I was going to let people be independent and 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 do their own own looking. Hey, I will tell you this. Um, no, we're 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 getting way off the rails. But I, I, I the Oklahoma. Barry Trammell, I was in, the, I think I told you this. I was, the last time I was in press bro or in the press box was at the women's college world series and it was the championship series. And, um, and, and none other than Barry Trammell shows up, you know, he's in the press box. He's well, I hadn't seen him. I, I, you, you know, you went with me, went to the regional, went to the super regional, went to the, most of the women's college world series. And then you get to the, you never see guys like Barry Trammell until the championship series starts. Right. And then, um, it's funny. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm lying to you. It wasn't the championship series. It was Bedlam. It was Bedlam at the Women's College World Series. That's the game that it was at. And and Barry Trammell um, went up and asked a, a member from a different outlet. I'm not going to tell you who it was uh, because that would be too classic. But he asked a member from a different media outlet a question because he had he had been nowhere. Uh, for the Women's College World Series. He asked a, di- a person from a different media outlet a question, and uh, the person just looks at Barry and in and, and perfect Russell Westbrook form says, next question. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. That, to me, that's a more a funnier memory um, <laughs> than – all right, let, let's, let's close this out. Uh, Big 12 predictions, who you got in the Big 12 championship game? You don't have to give me your winner if you don't want to, but who's in the game? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a repeat, um, and it's because of the way that the cards – are falling for both of these teams. When you look at how the schedule stacks up, I I do believe Texas and Oklahoma are the front runners here in the Big 12 for a reason. And I do believe that they're once again going to collide twice this year. All right, Texas has a lot of... um... Texas has a lot of question marks on the offense. They got question marks at running back. They got question marks at receiver. They got question marks on the offensive line. You know who does not have question marks? So that's Iowa State, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. You've already said it. I'm going to affirm it. They will have the best defense in the Big 12, in my opinion. Um, I, I'm saying new blood this year, man. I'm picking Oklahoma 
and Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game. Yes, there will be a rematch uh, in the Big 12 championship game because that's how it works in the Big 12 when you have the round-robin schedule. But it'll be Oklahoma-Iowa State, not Oklahoma-Texas this year. That, that's my last prediction. Uh, next week, we're going to jump in and start talking more specifically about the University of Oklahoma uh, season opener September 1st against Houston. Uh, we're going to break that down for you. And then we'll be back uh, on, on after September 1st. We'll be back that night to talk about recapping the game and start looking ahead uh, for the rest of the season. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.